You're listening to the Maple Leafs Hot Stove Podcast with Ian Tullock and Anthony Petrielli. Welcome to the Maple Leaf Hot Stove Podcast. My name is Ian Tullock. I'm here with Anthony Petrielli. How are you doing today, Anthony? How have we not had a trade yet? It's crazy. How? How many trade deadline previews do we need to do before there's an actual real trade for us to discuss? Like, I've been waiting to text you, emergency pod. Yeah, Taylor Hall, emergency pod. Kyle Palmieri, emergency pod. Nick Foligno, emergency pod. It hasn't happened yet. At this point, I'm just going to assume that it's going to happen on the very last minute of the trade deadline, and then we'll get to do our podcast that day. But for it's now... It's going to be like Derek Ryan, emergency pod. Tanner oh Pearson, God. emergency pod. so disappointing. Try to think Luke of like Glenn a number, Denning. <laughs> number eight defenseman, emergency pod. Number yeah. four goalie, emergency pod. That would be the worst. But <laughs> the Leafs have been playing well lately. If we look at five-on-five five results over the last few games, they've been playing really well. It's reached the point where in the Canadian division, the four teams are more or less set, especially with what's happened with the Calgary Flames. They're kind of a tire fire right now under Daryl Sutter. They were strong their first few games under him. That four check looked awesome. I thought that they were going to get some wins real in there, but I don't know. Something's rotten in in Calgary right now. Something's just not happening. I can't believe how bad Matthew Kachuk looks for Daryl Sutter in particular. Like if you were going to look at a guy, if you're going to sit there and say, yeah, Goudreau might struggle. I could get that. Yeah, Goudreau's not going to dump and chase. That's not exactly his game. But Kachuk, like, he looked brutal. At least just played them back-to-back. I I barely noticed him other than getting absolutely just wrecked all over the ice by guys. Hole hit him into the boards. He was banged up. Matthews dumped him on his ass and then scored a goal. I was like, what is this guy doing? Those weren't the most entertaining games, to be fair. Those two games against Calgary. It was a back-to-back, and I have to do the post-game report cards for all of these, and those are two games where I was just thinking, man, can I skip this night just because there aren't there isn't too much to take out of these games at this point, but I guess the things that you are looking for if you're following the Leafs, you want to know how's the top line looking, how is that Galchenyuk-Tavares-Nylander line looking, because I think that's going to impact the forward that you're looking for heading into the deadline. Uh, th- we weren't planning on this, but just real quick thoughts on the top six for the Leafs right now. I mean, it's hard to argue it. I'm I'm much more curious how it looks against the Habs. The tough thing is, we talked about this division. The division is one of the funniest things to look at on paper. So the Leafs have a plus thirty two goal differential. They're, you know, they've they've got some gap between them and everybody else. They're six points up on Winnipeg. They're seven points up on Edmonton. And I use points because they've all played the same amount of games. And then you get into the bottom three teams and their goal differentials are minus 20, minus 21 and minus 42. I mean, like it's, it is night and day. So we're watching against Calgary. As you said, the games, they were snooze, man. And you're watching, you're watching for report cards. I'm watching to write notebooks. I'm watching for this podcast so that, you know, you don't, you don't have my ass to me on this thing because you just know way more. So I got to well, make I mean, sure I'm that, ready. That happens most weeks, but you know. <laughs> you know, I need to be able, when you, when you pull out a number, I got to be like, okay, well, actually I watched this thing. <laughs> I hashtag watch the games and you were yeah, just watching the spreadsheets. I was, I'm ready for it. So yeah, the game sucked, but it's hard to argue with what Galchenyuk's done so far. I, would you argue it? <laughs> See, with him, whenever I'm grading him, I don't care too much about his puck skills or any of the fancy plays in transition just because I think we all know he can do that. I don't think anyone was looking at this guy going, oh, I, I wonder if there's some offensive talent here. I wonder if there's some puck carrying ability. We all knew he had that. The biggest frustrations with him have been committing to a system, back-checking, putting an effort in the forecheck. These are all areas of his game that coaches and management have been really frustrated with. And those are the parts of, that, of his game that have impressed me the most so far. The fact that he looks like he actually cares when he doesn't have the puck. And if he can provide that kind of value when he doesn't have the puck, you combine that with the things that he can do in transition. I'm not sure if he's someone that you want beside Tavares and Nylander in game one of the playoffs, but it's a look that you can throw out there and, and you know that it works. I, I still think at the end of the day, you prefer Galchenyuk maybe on a fourth line where he can give you some a bit of offensive punch, some a bit of skill, but it's reached the point where he's not the complete defensive liability that he was in years past. Yeah, and the big thing for me is is really John Tavares because you know, we we talked about him on this podcast when he was when his play was concerning, uh when he just really wasn't doing anything out there like truly going through the motions 
Uh, and it kind of came to the head at the time where, when Justin Bourne came on the podcast here and I'd mentioned in that podcast that, you know, I just, the thing that was concerning for me is he wasn't beating guys one-on-one at all, but the last few weeks he's been beating guys one-on-one kind of since that goal against Calgary where him and Nylander, uh, where he just, you know, cut right through the middle of the ice I forget who the D-man was, but he, he kind of like two or three players and then he sent the East-West pass. Yep. Yeah. When Riddick was like blacking out and they finally got one past him, and then like the dam broke and the Leafs ended up winning. That was Nylander's like eighth grade A scoring chance. Of yeah. I can't believe he didn't have a goal up until that point. Yeah. And Tavares looks good recently. I, I know that he just, he had the goal and assist against, he's four points in the last two games against Calgary. But even before then, I, he had a stretch. It was multiple games in a row of, of four or five shots on net. Um, you know, even if you look at his past five in general, it's, it's three shots, three shots, four shots, one shot, four shots. I, if he's generating chances, which he has been, he's starting to get around, um, you know, get around guys and create himself space. He had a play against Calgary. It didn't result in anything in the, in the slot where he kind of toe dragged himself to a scoring chance and, and ripped one off that's all I want to see from this guy that he's beating guys again, you know, that he's creating his own offense because when we were talking about putting Mitch Marner there, it was kind of like, yeah, you got to put Mitch Marner there because Tavares isn't, isn't creating a thing. Like we know he can finish, but he uh, very positive signs. That's probably the biggest positive I think of the past few weeks. Yeah. Cause the first month in the season, he wasn't transitioning the puck the way we were used to watching John Tavares transition the puck. You think of John Tavares, you think of a guy who can, stick handle through a defense, a guy who can stick handle in a phone book, a guy who, if he's one-on-one against a defender, that defender's in trouble because he's going to pull a move on them and find a way to, if not get his own shot off, get a pass through that defender to set up his teammate for a grade A scoring chance. So we've been seeing more of that from him lately. It makes me confident that Toronto's top six is going to be clicking at a good rate because that first line, there was never a concern. Matthews is having a career year. Marner is quietly having a 200 foot career year, in my opinion. We'll get to him more later at the end of the podcast, but we've talked about Toronto's top six. Let's take a quick look around the division here. And I want to quickly discuss some of the teams in the Canadian division that they might run into in the playoffs. So it's Edmonton, Winnipeg and Montreal. Who stands out to you? Who do you want to talk about first? Well, I don't think we really talked about the Habs after they acquired Eric Stahl, which I don't don't know. Nice ad, you know, some goal scoring punch. He scored the overtime winner, which was funny. I watched a good chunk of that game last night, and and he didn't do much. And then he he let he scored a stinker, like yeah. That, it, far I mean, side sometimes blocker. that happens, right? Yeah, and that's a classic Eric Stahl type goal. So good for him in terms of he's he's had that shot. Not that he scores crappy goals, but he scores that exact goal from that spot a number of times in his career. So the Habs here's here's the thing. So right now they're a little bit behind. Um, in points, but they are actually pretty much neck and neck with Winnipeg and Edmonton in points percentage. They're like 0.01 points behind Edmonton. But my thing is, and Elliot Friedman's been beating this drum a ton. They have, they have like a ridiculous amount of games to go the rest of the way, uh, which is part and part of that's what happens when you're like four, you know, and they have four play, they've played four less games than the Leafs. So their schedule is going to be really, really tight. And Brendan Gallagher just fractured his thumb. So this guy's probably, he's going to be out for at least a couple of weeks, possibly a month and change. I don't know how it'll heal. He Maybe it'll impact like a guy. his scoring touch from in tight. Cause he's always a guy who has a ton of expected goals. And in years past, he wasn't converting on those chances, but in the last couple of years, he actually has been. So is that something that's going to be impacted by the thumb injuries? He can be able to finish in tight. Yeah. And they're going to be okay as a team. I'm not going to argue that at all. They're, they're going to be fine in terms of making the playoffs but they might drop an extra game or two and that could be pretty much like pushing them into that fourth seed, which technically right now they are not just in terms of raw points, but in terms of points percentage and they've just arguably lost their best forward. Yeah. And on the, I was watching the Habs game. Uh, this was last week. Mike Johnson pulled up an expected goals chart and I was so happy. I was thinking, yes, my nerds were getting our expected goals on TV. This is great. The Dino Gallagher and Tatar line, is at 70% expected goals when he showed that number, which is just absurd. That means for anyone listening that if there are 100 goals scored over the course of a season, that line should be getting 70 of them based on the quality of chances that they're generating. 
I know that Philip Deneau isn't an elite goal scorer, but that line's ability to control the game, to dominate the puck, and to live in the offensive zone, it's something that absolutely terrifies me heading into a playoff series because I could see them going up against the Matthews-Marner line and neutralizing them and spending more time in the offensive zone than the Leafs do. And that's the best way to defend the opposing team's best players is to not let them have the puck. And last week we talked a little bit about that line and then you sent me a screenshot of that game that you were watching. I think in part to demonstrate that you do watch the games. Proof of but, me hashtag watching the games. Yeah. But what was my response? Who's sixth? <laughs> yeah, I think it was Hyman Matthews Marner, if I'm you're, not mistaken. You're damn right. It was Hyman Matthews Marner. And it's probably gone. I would like to think that it's actually gone up since then. Because uh, I honestly, they've been steamrolling teams the past few weeks, like pretty consistently. Yep. Zach Hyman but, is good. That's a, you know. But you're right, though. The, ha- the Habs, not only do they have that kind of high-end checking line, they have a few things that are problematic, I think, for the Leafs. In particular, depth. What was really interesting is that first game against Calgary, none of the big boys played 20-plus minutes. And I, and I can't really remember very often that that's been the case. And I do think Keith is trying to strive to roll the lines. Like he really is like he, he makes an effort at times. He makes other efforts at times where he loses it. And it's like 24, 25 for Marner, 24, 25 for Matthews. Jason Spezza has like an, a goal and assist and he's played eight minutes. Joe Thornton and, plays more minutes than John Tavares. Yeah. yeah. And, and like Willie has like five shots on net and he's played 15 minutes. So when that doesn't happen, it's it's a good thing. Like we like we want them to roll lines, but the Habs they force you to roll the lines. They're four deep. Like they've four. And one thing I find funny about them, and and there's actually been a few players that have kind of gone through this, is like Paul Byron's been on waivers multiple times this year. Paul Byron's a good player, but like he's overpaid, and I think he has some term left on his deal. But if we look and you're like, oh, like you know, would you just want like a checking winger to to round out the Engvall Mikheyev line? A guy like Paul Byron. Money aside, I'd be very happy with him. But you can nice pencil player. him in for an odd man rush every game just based on his speed alone. Yeah, Will he convert and- on it? Maybe not. It's kind of like Michael Grabner, but breakaways and two-on-ones are good. And can we, can-, can we quickly talk about two-on-ones for the Leafs? Because I've been like, I've just been aching to get this off my chest as we talk about speed guys getting odd man rushes. All right. Is this the Morgan Riley portion of the podcast? No, I'm not even going to. No, that we can talk about that later. I was going to say, I'm not even going to get into that, but I do feel I'll probably say something about that. It's more to say between Engvall, Mikheyev, and Kerfoot, they probably get two combined, if not three, two-on-ones a game. I think they're 0 for a million. <laughs> can one I mean, of Kerfoot them just McKay. not pass? Kerfoot just not McKay. pass. Like, how many times? How many times are we going to watch these guys try to pass, a, like feather one through? Like, just rip a shot. Like, I know you're not going to score. Just shoot for a rebound. Tell the other guy, put a stick on the ice and just skate right at the goalie. You're I'm going to score if one. anyone else fits that category in terms of guys who are just generating tons of odd man rushes but aren't doing anything with them. You see Engvall do it. He'll just, he'll he'll pick up a puck on the breakout, just a normal play. He'll blow by his man and all of a sudden it's a two-on-one. Mikheyev gets them all the time. Kerfoot, he gets them every so often. McKayev McKayev got like taken down on that mini mini breakaway against Calgary last night and and they called a penalty but the ref's hand went up and it was it was like on the border refs are ridiculous in terms of penalty shots should probably be called more often they should side note yeah the lead just like you know what take out an exciting play but to to god like the ref's hand went up and I was like please don't call a penalty shot like who do you okay your life is on the line here and you have to put money on one of these players to finish on a two on one or to complete the play, to make the right play. The pucks on their stick, Pierre Engvall or Ilya Mikheyev. Who are you picking to actually make the right play on a two on one? Okay. I want to go with, with Mikheyev. And the reasoning is I actually, it kills me a little bit because he, when he came into the league last year, he looked, he looked good offensively. And I don't think that we were just like watching it like and like completely out to lunch. I think his wrist is still pretty like messed up. Yeah, like, I, that like, wouldn't shock me, especially considering the slice tendon yeah. in a wrist. I mean, I don't know how easy of an injury that is to come back from, especially as a hockey player where your wrists are how you stick handle. It's how you generate power on your shot. 
Yeah. So I don't watch him and go like, man, like he's shitty offensively. I go, man, like there's something wrong with him. Like, like physically, like, cause he's just not, he had a few breakaways. His last, I'm pretty sure his last goal was that, uh, actually I think it was against Jersey, but he had one goal last year where he got a breakaway against Washington and he just went in, shot it like it was nothing and scored. And I was like, this guy knows how to score in this league. And I watch him this year and it's like, here's the side of a barn. Can you hit it? Right, He's like expected goals off. versus actual goals, especially on the PK. It's just man, he gets all the XGs, but none of the actual Gs. I'm telling you, man, it's that we've talked about it before on this podcast. Six inches off the ice, far pad. It's an automatic goal if the rebound gets kicked out to the slot. It's an automatic. No goalie will stop it. Right. They'll tell you like the second it goes off their their pad, six inches off the ice, it's kicked right back. There's nothing they can do. At least once in a while, the Leafs will fluke out between those three guys, hitting it in the right spot. But if we have to watch them continue to feather passes across, just brutal. Get it over with. This all stemmed so, from talking about Paul Byron, by the way. And the Canadian division. All yeah. that to say, I think the Habs are a problem, and I feel like it's trending where the Leafs are going to play them. But I don't think they can keep up with the Leafs' firepower at the end of the day, unless it's- their goalie blacks out. Yeah, that wouldn't be the way I would picture Montreal winning a series. It wouldn't be by their top guys being better than Toronto's top guys. It would be more uh, death by a thousand cuts. The second line plays well. The third line plays well. Fourth line gets some good minutes. Carey Price has a good series. Maybe the power play actually scores a goal for Montreal because I know that's been an area of concern for them for years now. Goalies blacking out, speaking of, I've actually, I haven't even texted you this. I've been really meaning to talk to you about about it on the pod is that, so Connor Hellbuck could obviously black out and give the Leafs a real problem in the playoffs. But I don't think there's a team that the Leafs have speed bagged more than Winnipeg this season. Thinking about it right now. I mean, Edmonton, they had a good stretch there earlier in the year. But yeah, they, the three games, but like consistently the Leafs have just, I think they've just dummied Winnipeg. Honestly, like it, when I know, I don't care what the seat, like the actual, like win loss record is of the series. I'm saying like the way the Leafs have played them is they've pretty much controlled every game pretty handily. The Jets defense is brutal. We talked about Ekholm before for them and why that would be a good move. And he makes that's... so much sense just because they don't have any defensemen and he's a very good defenseman. But league's a joke and Nashville's definitely not. I don't think they're gonna sell. I don't know why they would. They're probably gonna make the playoffs. Yeah, all, that, all these trades for... that we've had with Philip Forsberg and Matthias Ekholm and Michael Granlund. Yep, they're all Forsberg just... would have been a dream, man. A, a dream, but, but it's happened. a pipe dream now. It's over. So all that to say is I Winnipeg for all number of reasons concerns me, but man, the Leafs just totally dummy them. Yeah, the thing about Winnipeg is that their forwards are great. You go look at their depth chart and, you know, first line's awesome. Second line's awesome. Like the third line. I even like their fourth line. I love their forwards. Then I go look at their defenseman and I'm wondering, geez, is Neil Pionk your best defenseman? Because that's a problem. Derek Forbort is yeah. your best defensive player in terms of just limiting chances. Josh Morrissey has been terrible ever since Jacob Truba left his side. Man, the Leafs. That that Jacob Truba trade didn't work out for anybody involved. Uh, like yeah, I think the Rangers would take it back in a heartbeat. But the so the Leafs played the Jets twice last week, and honestly, did you notice Dubois once? Like, I still oh. think the best way to maximize the talents on that roster are to go three deep down the middle to have a Statsny <laughs> line, to have a Dubois line, to have a Shifley line. If you're if you're a long enough Leaf fan, and I think most people that listen to this podcast are, to be honest, um, just shout out in general to the to the crowd at at Hot Stove because it's pretty relentless, diehard, and it has been for a decade of pretty much crap. But like I honestly, the Maurice hype has been confusing to me at the best of times as a coach. I just like I watch them; they they do nothing for me as a team. Like, the way that they get caved in. The talent that he has at his disposal, I know the defense is shitty on paper, but like, I, it doesn't make sense to me what's going on with that team. Over the last five years, there aren't too many teams where there's a giant disparity between the talent on your roster and your actual five-on-five results. And usually when there's a gap that big, it's coaching. Can you think of a right. team who is, is more undercoached than Winnipeg in terms of 
how is this team so bad structurally and so bad at controlling the outcome of the game despite having all this talent? Yeah, and I know that he's a super thoughtful guy and I enjoy some of his answers to questions that you know people take a screenshot of and post like a brick paragraph on Twitter as much as the next person. He 100% has some insightful, thoughtful things to say. But man, like I'm watching his team and what he's getting out of them considering the talent level. That You know, I would... I would not say straight up that, yeah, I'm down to play the Jets because they do have the goalie and they do have the firepower. That is worrisome because you just, you know, the right guys get hot at the right moment. It, it's the it's a problem. But, like, I really like the way the Leafs match up against them because it's just every game has pretty much felt, like, completely in the Leafs' control. Uh, and it's really just a matter of time. And, and the only question is, like, how insane is Connor Hellebuck going to play? I mean, Whereas, that's really what it comes down to. I mean, maybe Nick Ehlers blacks out in his 16 minutes a night that he gets from Paul Maurice. That's another yeah. thing. I don't get why or, he doesn't get more minutes, more power play opportunities, but that's, he, that's another conversation at, for another day. I don't get why Kyle Connor just stinks at five on five too. Like just he doesn't stinks. backtrack. He's yeah. He just, he's just like, let me know when it's one time or time on the power play, you know, let me know when, when I have a free shot on net off the rush. But yeah, he's chilling. We're at, so would you rather, transitioning to the final team here that's going to make the playoffs in the division, would you rather go against a potential goalie that's going to black out or would you rather go against the best player in the world who could black out yeah, and throw or, up a 15-point series? Yeah, a team with back-to-back Hart uh, Trophy and Art Ross winners, it's looking like, if, if everything goes the way we expect it to. That doesn't happen very often. I think the last time it happened was at Lemieux and Yager in Pittsburgh. Man, it's the LeBron, it's the like the LeBron rule with McDavid. It's just like, yeah, every year he could be, but they'll just make it other people. And also, as you say, Lemieux Yager, yeah, last night, as a like just a quick thing here, you know, Matthews tried that play through his legs, and Ray Ferraro was talking about like how like nobody in his time period could, you know, do that stuff. And I'm like, you don't think Yammer Yager could do that in his prime? You don't think Mario Lemieux? could do that you don't think pavel beret come on i think it's more about the game changing to the point where that's a move that guys are trying with regularity i think i i have some problems about the overall like the lack of respect of the history of the sport for hockey which it doesn't happen you know in football and even basketball now you know they're they're like immortalized for some of the stuff that they did back then you know the way people talk about you know michael still in basketball and the michael lebron debates and Kobe and, and all that stuff. I'm like, but then here's Gretzky. Like this guy murdered the league. Like he murdered the league. And well, I guess I get the saves time in period. the eighties. This is what bothers I, me going back I, on stuff. Oh no, I totally get it. But he murdered the league. Like, like six ways from Sunday. He was it like was a just, standard deviation and a half above it, the next closest guy. Yeah. It it's insane what he did. And there's like it it's crazy. It's like minimal respect on his name now. But if you think like his number nobody's allowed to wear it like, like i had a kid ask me once minor hockey if he could wear it i was like no like he's like i want to be 99 this year i was like it's just not it's not gonna happen but you don't think it's the not. game has gotten significantly faster and more skilled in the last decade oh, or two? No, oh no it has and i think when i look back at at old games and i'm i'm a sucker for that stuff when i look back at old games i sit there and i say the bottom two lines are absolute garbage but the top players are still really, really good. Like, you don't think Mike Medano is unreal? You don't think Steve Eiserman? You don't think you don't think prime Joe Sackett couldn't play in the NHL today? I'm and just still blown away watching up? watching old Lemur Yager tape. It, they're hacked and slashed, and guys yeah. are water skiing on them. It's insane. And I'm just how did they get any points considering there's a penalty on them every two seconds? And the way the game is let go now, you don't think prime Yammer Yager would just be absolutely wrecking guys. You don't think Matt Sundin, 6'5", with a bomb. Like, like honestly, we talk about some of the Leaf guys in puck protection, like John Tavares down low. Matt Sundin is, is like, what, five inches, like half a foot bigger than him and probably weighs like 50 pounds I more than him. I think we're exaggerating it. Matthews is 6'3". No, I'm talking about John Tavares. Oh, John not, Tavares. Okay. Like, the, like John Tavares is a horse down low. Like he's a strong guy, but Matthew's like half a foot taller or sorry. Matt Sundin is half a foot taller and weighs like probably 40, 50 pounds more than him in his prime. Like, I don't think we put any respect on, 
on that era of guys, like how good some of those players were. Like they were ridiculous. Like honestly, like even you go watch like old, like Paul coffee stuff. Like, man, like he was sick. Brian Leach. He was sick. Brian Leach, Ray, former leaf. Yeah. Ray Borkley. These guys were unreal. I don't, I don't know. It just bothers me how, you know, I don't think uh, when, and it's a, it's a league thing. It, like they don't do a good job of, um, you know, hitting the nostalgia of kind of like growing the game and, and like remembering the past and, um, you know, building it up. Like, whereas you watch like an old football game or you watch football game, you know, they're, they have the whole history of everything down pat. And it's like, it's a whole experience. Whereas you just watch a hockey game. It's like, this is the hockey game tonight. I mean, we could talk about the NHL needing to market their product better. You compare it to what the NBA has with the last dance over during quarantine or NFL films. Some of the cool stuff they have their top 10 series. I don't know. The NHL has tried in the past, but let's get back to the oil. Why don't they talk about Gretzky? Why don't they talk about Gretzky? Here, we were talking about McDavid Drysaddle, and you were bringing up all those elite puck movers, the Paul Coffees who got to play with them, or the Ray Borks. Who's Edmonton's elite puck mover? Is it Ethan Tyson Bear? Barry, baby. Oh, my God. Tyson Barry and Darnell Nurse is your that top will pair. That will forever be the knock against them, right? Like, Tyson Barry plays a lot, and Mike Smith is their goalie. But you, they do have McDavid and Drysaddle. That is concerning. The problem is that when those guys are off the ice, the team is a disaster. A quick note on Connor McDavid. Last year, uh, and and also Leon Dreisaitl, last year their defensive numbers were awful. I wonder how much of that is a product of playing with Zach Cassian because this year they get to play with Jesse Pugliarvi, whose defensive impact has been elite. His ability to win puck battles, his ability to carry the puck up the ice instead of dumping it in off off the glass every single time the way Zach Cassian would. Is he the new Valerie Nakushin? Hey, Valerie Nachushkin is a positive impact player. Get out of here, okay? Everyone wants to make fun of him because he should have won the, the heart over uh, over dry saddle. I don't agree with that. that was something involving Wild Twins kept tweeting. But the thing about Jesse Pugliarvi is that he's doing all the things that I think we wanted to see from him in his first couple of years in the league. The fact that he's a big, tall skater who can win puck battles, can dominate around the boards and carry the puck up the ice with possession. I think you combine that with a McDavid and a dry saddle, and it means your team is going to have the puck more often. And I think that's part of the reason their defensive numbers are much better this year than they were last year when they were playing with friggin' Zach Cassian, who's a turnover machine. Jesse Pugliarvi actually looks really, really good. And I've watched a ton of Oilers games this year. I'm, I'm actually quite a fan, Like he's massive. Like he, like he is a beast. And, and he's using he his size nicely. too. reverse hits, you know, driving yeah. to the net. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I really like him, And I I'm almost to the point now, whereas I know we've been pretty cavalier on it for weeks in particular, again, like they employ Tyson Berry that will forever just, unless he's on your third pair and, and on your power play exclusively. And he's not, um, I think that's a problem, but Darnell nurse looks really good. Like he's been a beast. He's been carrying and, that Tyson Berry pairing. He's the one who's kind yeah. of stabilized it. Yeah. And, uh, and I don't know, you got McDavid, you got dry And if, so I know, I know the, uh, the jets can kind of have the same thing, but with a goalie and a little bit of a deeper group of forwards, but honestly, that group of forwards and that general team is getting caved in and you kind of sit there and go, okay, well, would you rather, cave a team in repeatedly like because you know you're going to pretty much at will and then just hope that you break the goalie or do you want to play a team where essentially you're like mcdavid's probably gonna play like 25 minutes a night in the playoffs essentially half the game and you know he's gonna break well and you know dry is gonna you know at minimum produce so would you rather just, you know, play those guys and, and bank on like Mike Smith's garbage and like you're going to crush their depth? I guess to quickly answer that, I would rather face Edmonton than I would face Montreal. And I think at a team level, Montreal scares me at the team level. Edmonton doesn't scare me individually. So, McDavid and Drysaddle scare me. So but, right now you rank and in order of teams you least want to play to most, is it Habs, Oilers, Jets, or are you flopping Oilers, Jets still? I want to wait until after the trade deadline until I solidify that. If they get Matias Ekholm, I'm very afraid of the Jets. If they don't acquire any defensemen, then they might be at the bottom of my list. Because Man, Nashville's think, not selling. This league is a joke. 
Well, not just that, but I think Winnipeg needs a couple defensemen. So that's why yeah, if that's they're not the trading for Ekholm, I think they need to trade for Savard or whoever's next up on the list because they need bodies on that blue line. Like even if they trade for Savard, their defense is still shitty. Like they, they probably need to make two moves on defense, which is a problem. Here, I'll quickly rank the teams of the Canadian division, then you can do it. I've got Leafs one, Habs two, I guess Jets three, Oilers four, and then it doesn't really matter after that. I could go Calgary, Vancouver, Ottawa, I guess. None of those teams matter. They don't, they don't matter. They're not even worth discussing. And that's fair. And I've been high on the Jets. I just I do not like what Dubois done there. He's made minimal impact to me. It's I just there was one of the two games against the Leafs where I'm like, I noticed him in the third period. I was like, is this his first shift of the night? Like, I haven't seen this guy do a thing. Yeah, he hasn't been so, dominating at five and five. On the power play, I'm not sure. If, I still think they need to find a way to get Ehlers onto that top unit and they won't do it. So yeah. like uh, that, as a Leafs not... fan, that makes you happy that you're going to see less Nick Ehlers. But the Jets who are striving to make some noise here in the playoffs, give your best player more minutes. And yes, Nick Ehlers is your best player right now. And and everyone craps on Torts, but like Torts had, had Dubois going and Dubois not going. Maybe Paul Maurice needs to bench him. Yell at him or something on the bench. I don't know what it is, but healthy like, scratch him. He he looks like a problem. So I like I don't know that that's kind of where it stands. So that's kind of the division. Now if we're gonna go swing it back on the Leaf side of things, and and they've been really good at five on five lately. Jack Campbell might never lose a game in the history of the sport. I don't know. The defense has been pretty steady. The one area that's been most concerning of late is special teams. Yeah. I mean, they went 0 for 29, I want to say, in 29 straight power plays, and then they cracked it on the 30th one. When Gord Miller had that that um, stat, I guess, where he said, like, this is the first time the Leafs have gone 10 games, 10 games. without a power play goal. And since, like, 97, 98, I was like, man, what? Like, how many terrible teams the Leafs have had between now and that time? You're telling me like the Matt stage in first line teams, you know, Nicholas Hagman yeah. on your first line, they were able to yeah. get a power play goal within 10 games. Like, and this team was like Johnny Pohl and Bates Battaglia were clicking for goals at better rates than Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner, Peter Holland on PP one, baby. All this means is that Thomas Caberly is unreal because that's the only reason those power plays were still clicking at the way that they were. I mean, I think it also means that this can happen sometimes yeah. some shooting percentage benders in one way or the other. When you're looking at the power play, what are your actual biggest concerns? Let's talk about it structurally. Let's talk about the entries. Let's talk about what's happening on the ice here that actually bothers you. So they so they finally scored a goal, and it was a little bit greasy, which is usually the way it has to go when you haven't scored that in that you know amount of time. And I know that Zach Hyman played a big role in it, but honestly, I've I've been kind of watching it, and I I don't have a, a recorder like stat on this or anything. I don't think Mitch Marner's particularly strong at gaining the zone on the power play. Like I'm kind of like whispering it right now. Cause you know, God forbid you say anything about Marner, but I'm I mean, like, there's objective I'd, evidence on it last year. Olivia Lynn and Sean Ferris put out a research paper and it showed that Spezza gained the zone way more efficiently than Marner and Matthews did. I, I think Nylander is really good at it. Like, I don't think they're going to put Spezza on power play one, but like, and I'm not saying that to to take off Marner for Nylander, but I know people are talking about the like a guy standing in front. Honestly, here is the prerequisite for standing in front of the net that you'll do it. That's it. Like it. There's nothing else. There's nothing else. Honestly, like like that's what it takes. If you want to be the guy that does it, or if you if like to be the person that does it, you just have to do it. Like that's it. Like they could put John Tavares in front and call it a day, but actually gaining the zone. And setting up, I think they've had a lot of problems with it recently. I, I don't really know what's happened with Riley. He used to, he used to like really dissect what was happening and then figure out, okay, am I dropping it? Am I skating it? Am I, you know, how, at what point do I do it? But now he's like almost kind of mindlessly drop it and then peel off. And then you watch Marner kind of like dance, um, and it's not particularly effective. And I'm kind of watching. I know you've talked about this a ton. Like Spencer just winds up and he's like, yeah, I'm flying. I'm just like, going to skate north as fast yeah. as I possibly can. And then right after I gain the blue line, I'll make a quick pass. And it works. Yeah. 80% of the time. It's crazy how often it works. Yeah. You're telling me William Nylander can't do that. And he does do that. Like, I think he's actually really good at it. Nylander does that at five on five. Yeah. So 
I don't know. I'm watching. I'm like, I don't know if these guys are the right guys out here to gain the zone. If, if Riley's just going to mindlessly drop the puck at like his own blue line and Marner's going to be, you know, he's basically skating in an S pattern. And as I like move my finger for nobody to see, as they listen to this on whatever, you know, pod podcast thing that they listen to this on. So use more video here, please point to the screen more as you break down your (laughs) diagram. So that's my first thing. I'm like, they're not gaining like the zone cleanly and successfully. They're having too many power plays where it's three, four times where they're, you know, going out and then resetting. And the other thing is he keeps screwing with the units but you can't just keep changing them. Like that's not the way this works. It's not the way life works. You have to just be like, okay, this is the unit and you have to give them five, 10 games. So do you want them to top load PP one? Cause I think that's yeah. where I've arrived. I just want the five best players on the ice. I want them out there for about a minute, 20 minute, 30. That's always where out. I was at. It's not real to do anything else. Honestly, it's not like, you're not, you're not going to play in the playoffs where we look at, as we have a number of times over the past month and been like, Joe Thornton had more power play time than John Tavares. You're not like, you're going to get crucified for that. So they had Wayne Simmons on PP one with Tavares as the bumper, Marner Matthews on the walls, Riley at the point. And then on yeah. the other unit that leaves you Hyman as your net front Spets and Nylander in the walls, whoever's the point, man, it's been muzzin lately. It's usually Brody. I think in the playoffs, I wouldn't be shocked if it's Sandine, frankly. I'm loving me some Jake muzzin there though. He's dangerous. Of course you are. You, you just He's want to see a shot from the point. That's all you want. I, I do. And then as the bumper, you're weirdly left with Fortin as your bumper on that PP2. And we've talked about how much we dislike Fortin as a bumper. I don't mind Fortin on a power play unit in the NHL at this point because he can make plays out of the corner. He can make plays from behind the net. He can make plays from the goal line. You stick him in the middle of the ice as a shot threat, and it doesn't make any sense to me. So I think you're at the point now where if we're top-loading PP1, it's going to be Matthews, Marner on the walls, probably. Tavares in the middle of the ice. Do you prefer Marner or Nylander as the quote-unquote net front presence? And I don't even say net front presence because that's not what they're going to be doing. They're going to be backing off from the net front, sliding down to the, to the left of the goalie, if you're facing the goalie, to the left of the goalie, down below the goal line. And that's where Marner likes threading passes. That's where Nylander likes threading passes. Who do you prefer in that I- spot? I would probably do it. Actually, I'd actually put Tavares in front. Oh, okay. Because his hand-eye coordination is incredible. Just incredible. And look, if they're going to sit there and say, we didn't want to do like internally, they would never say this out loud. If they're going to sit there and be like, we don't want Tavares in the power put, like standing in front of the net and getting his back absolutely abused by defensemen like Eric Goodbranson's stick for the course of a season, like we want to save him for the playoffs. I get it. Also, I, get I think it. he's like, just so good at the bumper roll, and I don't think Nylander's particularly is. good at it. I don't think Matthews can really do that. I, I think I it's don't just think... something that Tavares' skill set allows him to do better than a lot of the other Leafs in that position. I don't think that they're. I don't think Nylander is good at deflecting pucks in that role, but I actually think he's kind of like sneaky good at fishing pucks out of scrums and and just like he's like finding the puck, right? Like Matthews, right? Same. So Matthews scored that power play goal. It's a great, it's actually a great example, right? Like he didn't deflect it or anything. He just, he found the puck and then he got the shot off in commotion. And I think Nylander can do that. He's he was actually looking really good at that kind of role. And he was actually looking really good in front of the net in general um, last year on the power play. And I love, I don't understand what's going on last year. The Leafs slowed up the power play and they absolutely crushed it for a long period of time. And the amount of people, including Sheldon Keefe, who've been like, yeah, we've loaded the top power play unit before and it hasn't worked, that are saying it this year. I'm like, I'm so, did but we it forget did work. literally <laughs> last season? Like literally last season for like a month and shit. Like it was like actually closer to two months. And Morgan Riley's better than Tyson Berry in the power play. So like, what? I'm confused. But I know you're going to say you would put Marner down low because you like him for passing. I do like him for passing. I've always preferred Marner weirdly on the right wall. I think that's where he makes his best passes from. But again, maybe you're worried that he's not a shot threat from there. So you he has become... zero power play goals this year, which I find surprising because he's been letting more go. I think that's, I've, I remember I mentioned this to you. That is actually like a month shot ago rates here, aren't that, up, that that's an yeah, that I think thing. it's, it's not a stats fake thing. thing. I think it's a fake thing that people are like, yeah, his shot's better. I'm like, it still looks pretty bad to me. The shooting percentage is way up at five and five, and that is probably going to come down over time. 
a lot of muffins, I mean, like actual shooters score on the power play, like actual shooters when they have a little bit of time and space, they rip it and it's a goal. And I think that's probably the biggest thing where Matthews isn't getting time and space because teams can completely shade over. So to that degree, if they're, if they're going to sit there and go, yeah, you know what, we're going to put Nylander on the half wall. We'll tell Marner and, uh, and JT to kind of work the middle of the ice together. I would be okay with that. Bottom line, just put your best players together and you guys will figure it out. You're all big boys here. I'm hoping they do that because I know Keith says that he wants to have two units, but I, I think the recipe for success is to have the, the killer unit, is to have the, the lineup of death that you go to in, in key situations. Let's move on here. Let's move on to some listener questions because we're already at 40 minutes. We have a few yeah. topics we still want to hit on here. Rapid fire. What's the first one that you have uh, from? I'm not sure what the, the topic is. I, I have a feeling it pertains to the trade deadline. <laughs> so this question came from Jed on Twitter. I really liked it actually. So it says the Leafs could not go into the playoffs. unsure of goalies one and two's health and Marinson next in line on D they also need at least one more forward. Yeah. How, how Marinchin, what is Marinchin? Yeah. Okay. He's, he's my, uh, you know, I'm a, he's my client. I'm his agent. So I got to know these <laughs> things. No, I want I want to get people's names, right? Like on pure respect alone. Um, so then, sorry, the rest of the question is they also need at least one more forward to strengthen the third line. How would you prioritize the three needs for Dubas's trade moves? I would prioritize forward number one. Um, and then defense goalie, we were talking about this last week. Oh, that's tricky because if you're confident in Anderson's health and you're confident in Jack Campbell's health moving forward, it's easily defense. But if you're still on the fence about Frederick Anderson and Jack Campbell has never been able to carry a starter's load in his career before, then goaltender is probably something you're seriously considering. As of right now, I've got forward defense goaltender is my rankings in terms of what I would target at the trade deadline. And forward, I have way higher on the list than the other two, personally. So I'm going to, of course, disagree with you. I did not know this in advance of this recording. Nice. Because um, I'm the complete opposite order. First is goalie. And really? that's just to say, and, and not right now. That's without, without me knowing the inside scoop. But the only reason it's goalie is I'm just working off in a world if they're unsure of the health of them, if they're sitting there on both of them being like, we don't really know if we can trust this. Like, we don't know that Freddie's going to really come back this year. You know, Campbell's, you know, he's fighting through it a little bit, but it's concerning. Goaltending is by far the biggest need. If like, if, if they're unsure of these guys, if there's like, what's, what would be the percentage over 5% chance we're turning over to Hutch in the playoffs? It's goaltending then. I think. Like, I, I don't know how it wouldn't be now in saying that, I think that they probably are confident in the goaltending returning, in which case I would actually go defense still and then forward. And you, the reason you, being, so you would uh, use your top prospect or a first round pick trading for a defenseman instead of a forward this year. No. So I wouldn't, I just mean in terms of like filling out the roster needs, not in terms of like the value that I would give up in, okay. in terms of value, giving up for sure would be at forward. So then uh, you technically for value it. forwards more than defense in that regard? I, I'm, I value it more in terms of if everybody's healthy and all things being equal, that's the area for the biggest gain, like opportunity gain. Yeah. But if I'm looking in terms of like, if people are hurt, which is how I'm going off it in my mind, uh, then defense is a bigger need for me because I'm kind of sitting there going, if really just one guy in the top four goes out, I really don't like the way the defense shakes out, which yeah, I know then you have Zach Bogosian playing on a shutdown pair. You have Travis Dermott playing big minutes and he's never proven that he can handle that. Yeah. And I know somebody's going to inevitably say this to us too. Yes. We think Rasmus Sandin is number seven, but no, he hasn't been healthy. So we're just kind of looking going right, like today, right. The second of this recording, if someone was to get hurt on defense, it, it wouldn't be Rasmus Sandin going in. But I'm convinced that come so, playoff time, it's Rasmus Sandin coming in for sheltered yeah. five on five minutes and then PP two duties where I think he's actually really good. I, I agree with that. I also don't think we could fully trust him just yet either. Um, so I would feel better with a depth defenseman. Whereas the one thing I will say it forward is if they had a guy go out, other than like obviously Matthews or whatever. Um, I actually like can squint and be like, okay, I could see how they could put together a lineup for, you know, three, four games and feel pretty good about it. Like, like Nick Robertson's going to come in from wherever and, and he'll be okay. 
but they did take a little bit of a hit, of course, in particular losing Travis Boyd, who did kind of come in and, and give them a shot in the arm of offense at times. But it's like, yeah, can you move Spezza up for a few games and and you know get a squeeze a little bit of extra juice out of him? Yeah, I think you can. Can can Wayne Simmons move up the odd time and Ooh. and you can get something from him? A I think so. Five. I know. No, I not for any sort of extended period of time. But do I think that he could do it for a game? Yes. Do I think Joe Thornton can do it for a game? Yes. What's crazy is Galchenyuk in the top six. I don't hate as a injury replacement as a, we're shaking up the lines. It's reached the point where I actually think he's an effective player. Yeah. So, so that, that's the only reason why, but if now, if everybody was healthy, everything's healthy on the team, it's definitely forward because that's where you would actually acquire a guy who would be stepping into the lineup. You're not going to acquire a guy on defense or goalie, but I'm saying in terms of depth beyond it and protecting it, that's why I would rate it that way. But I see what you're saying too. And I would only give up the value to, to move up. All right, let's do one more question and then we'll do overreaction, underreaction. Yeah, we're, uh, we're pushing times, eh? Like our, yeah, my goal our is always to keep like, it under an hour and we're really going to struggle with that tonight. See how yeah, we do. Yeah, and I just, I ruin you on it every time. Uh, so this is a good one. Kind of speaking of, of the trade deadline too. says, assuming the Leafs think Jack and Freddie will be fully healthy. So I love that that was the start of the email. Cons- you know, considering just what you said. Yeah. yeah. And the, the, that, I just read that word for word and it was sent a day ago. So I'm just saying, um, it says, what do you think of a three C instead of a winger like hall or Palmieri? And they gave the name, uh, Scott Lawton as an example. Okay. D- does Nick Foligno play center? Because he's someone that I think I would prefer in that oh, role. Oh, now you like Nick Foligno. Well, I don't prefer him to Taylor Hall, but I well, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I think he's a good defensive impact uh, player. If we're talking about Nick Foligno, I think he, is he does all player. those little things that everyone loves in a playoff series. So I can understand the appeal there. But again, I, I don't care too much about position here. I just want the best player available. That's what I would want if I'm a contending team. If I'm Tampa Bay in years past, yeah, trade me Ryan McDonough. It, it would trade me Blake or yeah, Blake Coleman trade me a really good player and I'll add him to my roster. I'm Vegas trade me Mark stone. That's who I want. So I'm not going to change my tune here. I think Taylor hall is the best player available at this deadline. So if I'm the Leafs, I'm trading for Taylor hall. If he goes to another team, I now want the second player on my board. And then I want the third player on my board. I just, I want good players. And as much as, these defensive gritty players are, are someone that everyone wants to add. Can we just add more talent to the Leafs? Is that such a crazy concept to, to grasp? I find, so I find that a pro I've been thinking about that a lot the past few weeks. Cause I, I know you've been, if nothing else, consistent on this approach of let's just get the best player. Cause that makes the I don't, most I don't sense. I think it's that complicated but, sometimes. I think we overcomplicate it. So the thing I would flip back to you is say the Leafs have a really good team already. Good. We can agree on that, yeah. right? So do they need necessarily the best player or do they just need someone that kind of fits into what they're doing and can help them just continue running the course? Steve, I think anytime yeah. you go with this mentality, this is where you talk yourself into adding a third or fourth line grinder instead of a top six player. And you know the Soshi model that Team Canada used that, hey, let's just put all the good players on the team and they'll do well. Yeah. And instead of bringing in... Chris Draper and yeah, we, can't, of you. we can't compare team Canada to NHL teams. Cause like, but it's the concept uh, of adding talent versus adding grit, you know, and I don't mind grit if it's effective grit and that Nick Felino is effective grit. I, I wouldn't mind so, adding him. So it's, let's, let's go with Taylor Hall as an example. Okay. If the Leafs acquire Taylor Hall, are they the most talented team in the league by leaps and bounds? Not by leaps and bounds. Colorado exists. I think they're the most talented no, I, team in the league. Oh, I know. I'm saying so like when Team Canada is going to sit there and say, yeah, we're just going to load up on talent and we'll figure it out. Like they're the most talented team in the world. Like, like it's not fair. It's like even even in like theory, it's not necessarily fair to compare it to what Team Canada because honestly, after that whole Zach Hyman on Team Canada conversation on TSN, I started jotting down the roster for fun with my friends because that's what we consider fun because I'm possibly a loser. And like that roster was just, it's insane. Like even if the least get Taylor Hall, like I don't think that like they're the most like talented team ever. Zach Hyman on team Canada would be, it's kind of the Chris Kunitz with Crosby argument that, Oh, well he needs this guy to be successful, but 
anytime you're constructing a roster, I just think that the more good players you can add to that roster, whatever sport it is, basketball, football, hockey, you're looking to improve your roster. Who's the best talent available on the trade market that fits into your team? You add them. I guess this is where you're arguing. Well, does Taylor Hall fit into your team if he's constantly carrying the puck? Maybe he can't play with a Nylander who also wants the puck all the time. I can understand those concerns, but I just think that when you put talent together on the ice, they find a way to make it work. And we've seen that in years past. So I, I'm not going to change my tune here. I still think it's best player available. And I think that's Taylor Hall, the winger over a third line center. I think that's fair. I, I mean, even if we go back to the Tampa example, I'm not sure that Blake Coleman was the best player that got traded last year. In terms of 200 foot impact. I know if you look at all the analytics, they loved him. Oh yeah. He's a great player. Is he better than Pajot? Uh, that's a good one. I would say yes. And uh, that, that's a close one. I think last year based on the results. And Pajot's center. So, right. But like, so they didn't acquire the best player. They just caught all that to say, like I've been interested in tall. Cause I think there's an actual need for it. And he is really good, but I do take the, the, the question that we had here. I get why a center would be appealing. Cause I'm still not a hundred percent sold on Pierre Engvall as a three C I think the third line in general is a little bit problematic. Uh, I don't Wayne Simmons, as you already have kind of just straight up said, like he's not the strongest five on five player and that's a checking line. They want that to be a checking line. Wayne Simmons is not a checking line guy. A lot of plays have been dying on his stick lately. It's concerning. Yeah. And I love Wayne Simmons. I'll be the first one to say like that guy just, he, you know, not that other guys don't care, but you could tell how much it means to him. And he wants to go out there and make a difference. And he kind of wills his way into games at times. And exudes and, all that energy at the team yeah. level. And and he he brings guys into the battles at times. He brings guys in. Like when there's lulls and when the team needs a shot in the arm, like like he's going out there. He like, you know, he kind of gives off that like I'll like I will do anything to make this happen. I Except just, carry the, the puck up the ice. Yeah. He just doesn't have the ability to, to make it happen, but he has like that, that effort and, you know, heart grit, whatever you want to call it to, to do those things. It's just, I want that on the fourth line from him. I want them to have, you know, an actual, a guy who's a little bit more effective. I think Scott Lawton would be a great fit. I think the flyers are completely out to lunch with pretty much everything they've done this year. Um, you know, they should be trying to trade, Jakob Vorchek, they should be kicking tires on trading Claude Giroux. Their goal differentials like like minus twenty four or something this year. I mean, not that's Carter Hart's been terrible. Yeah, yeah, they've had like the worst goaltending in like ten years or something crazy. Um, you know, their team's not that bad, but they've got a bunch of these old, old like players that are you know they're still good. I was gonna say say old one more time. That'll really yeah. drive the point home. Right. But they're 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 still good, but they're past their prime. And you know, teams are stupid in the league. They don't trade guys a year early. They trade guys a year late with consistently. They should be looking to keep Scott Lawton. Scott Lawton's a good player. If the Leafs can go in there and get him for relatively not much, I would be a huge fan of Scott Lawton. You brought up Claude Giroux's name. He did not make the list on uh, Greg Wyshynski's top 10 NHL centers. He didn't even make the honorable mentions. Austin Matthews is ranked third on that list. John Tavares was ranked outside the top 10. I don't even think he got a vote for the top 10. And honestly, based on his play over the last year, I think that might be deserved. What were your thoughts on the Greg Wyshynski top 10 list? We'll do, we'll, we'll do call this uh, overreaction, underreaction. Matthews so at third. In the NHL so, as a center, overreaction or underreaction? Do you have the article up right now? I can pull it up real quick. I know it was so McDavid here, one, McKinnon two, Matthews so three, Crosby Here's the four, quote. I'm gonna read this. I'm gonna read this quote out because I wanted to. I wanted to have it up here. So, this quote: One NHL coach who had him ranked sixth overall agreed with that assessment. And this was about the D zone. He said, if you're looking purely at the offensive side of the game, he's a star, but there's a part of Matthew's game. That's not there yet. And then, or as another NHL coach put it, two way centers are how you win. Not all these guys are there yet. I don't think McDavid is quite there yet. And I don't think Matthews is right there yet. So there was a consistent knock on him defensively. Right. And there was a uh, one NHL defenseman. So now we've had a, uh, two coaches. And then this is from an NHL defenseman in the D zone. That's a bad, a big thing. He'll get there eventually. 
So here's what I will say. I don't think that defenseman is in this division. And I don't think either of those coaches are in this division. I was going to say, this sounds like a quote from last season. And to be fair, those were fair criticisms of Matthews last year, the year before that, the year before that I was, I've been doing report cards on him where I get frustrated with his effort in back checks and their nights where he didn't look engaged. But if you're grading him this season, you're not saying any of those things. He's been one of the best 200 foot players in hockey, maybe since the wrist injury, his defensive impact hasn't been quite as elite, but those seem like outdated criticisms to me based on watching them this year. Yeah. I will take zero Matthew slander this year In previous years, hundred percent in this season, absolutely none like whatsoever. Uh, this guy's a stud. He's doing it all. Um, he's, he's really dialed in defensively. He's dialed in at using his body to win the puck back, which he wasn't always before in particular, he had a ridiculous stick lift on his first ever night in the league and scored a ridiculous goal. Uh, and he loves that pickpocket move, but he's kind of over time been like, okay, this is not, this is not how you do it. This is not how you do it on a consistent basis. Once in a while you can go for a pickpocket or whatever the place, the case is, or you can cheat for offense or whatnot. He is a thousand percent leading by example I'm not going to sit here and say he's always in the perfect spot because nobody is. And that's a ridiculous thing to say, but he is dialed in on doing things the right way, following the process, not cheating the game, not cheating things defensively. He's been legit. Yeah. I, I mean, I could just say, I agree with that, but I guess my question for you would be since the wrist injury, would your opinion change slightly in terms of his defensive impact? I just think his overall impact has probably been a little bit off and I guess that's really the concern, right? Because a few years ago, you might recall, um, one of his first injuries was he drove the net against Winnipeg, actually, and Jacob Truba like shouldered him pretty hard, and and he wasn't the same after that for a little bit. Like, I know in, if you looked in, at his expected goals or scoring chance rates, they dropped off a cliff after that injury, and then if you looked at his defensive impact over the next two seasons it was much worse than it had been in his second year. His first year in the league, he was kind of poor defensively. His second year in the league, he was making really good strides. Then the shoulder injury happened and his performance started to dip. I think we're finally seeing this year, we're seeing the full 200-foot version of Austin Matthews. And it's a guy who could score 60 goals and finish top 10 in Selkie voting. I'm not sure if we've ever seen that type of player before. It's pretty awesome to see. Yeah, and the weird thing is, so we sit there and, and you mentioned Tavares didn't make the list. And you sit there and go, man, like there's like 10 centers, like at least, and it wasn't even like an honorable mention. And John's you go down the list and you're, you're thinking, okay, Braden point. I prefer him to Alexander Barkov. I prefer him. And then it's yeah. Barzell. Yep. Like, I mean, so like there's Patterson no shame in not being on list, that you know? list. Man, Anza Kopitar is over a point per game and a legitimate beast defensively on a terrible team. And he didn't, make it. didn't even make the honorable mentions. There are some really good players in this league. So especially at the center yeah. position, it's tough to make these lists. Also, also, I don't think like <laughs> it's, it sounds weird. It's, it's bad. Honestly, it's upsetting, but we were talking a little bit before this recording um, about the, the trading Eichel thing in, in the athletic where a number of, of NHL managers were saying that they wouldn't trade Kirill Kaprizov uh, in a deal for Jack Eichel, which is just like, beyond a joke because Jack Eichel is an absolute stud who is exactly all of one year older than Kaprizov and plays a more premium position. Well, yeah, but those character concerns, Anthony, the character concerns, why isn't he winning in Buffalo? Like, but, and in there, there were also comments about like Sean Couturier being like a second line center. And And Ron Francis being a second line center. He was fifth all time in scoring. Ryan O'Reilly, who like won a Selkie and played like over 20 minutes tonight on the cup winner. Sorry, not a Selkie. He won the Con Smythe. Probably won the Selkie too, but I'm thinking Con Smythe. It's like, I'm sorry, was leading your forward group in ice time and leading them to a cup not good enough for you? Like, is that what I a second think line talent center evaluator does? considered defense when he was ranking first line centers? I think you need to have 90 points. Otherwise, you're not a first line center in that person's book. <laughs> yeah, but all that to say is like, we get a lot of stuff from like people that work on NHL teams. And I know it's like the, the cool thing to. Oh, I was speaking to someone in hockey the other day. Oh yeah. No, I was talking to this exec and he thinks that, and and then sometimes you hear what they actually say and you, you follow their logic and their, the reasoning behind their arguments. And it's just, it's so nonsensical. 
it's just stunning, man. Like it's honestly, it's upsetting. Like we won't get into it in this recording, but, but one of these days we'll talk about uh, what happened with some of the recordings and stuff at hot stove. When we published summer magazines, we'll have to go over it in detail with Alec. I think we some good uh, off the record conversations here, but but here, let's, let's move to our final overreaction underreaction here. We're talking about Matthew's defensive impact. I think people are underreacting to Mitch Marner's defensive impact because after his contract, I know last season there was a lot of vitriol from the fan base. He got off to a rough start towards the end of the season. He actually did finally start producing like a 90 point player, but I think that kind of tarnished his reputation to the point where we might not be giving him a fair assessment night in night out when we're actually evaluating his play. And if you look at how often he's the first man back, not first forward back, first player back on defense when Morgan Riley's flying up the ice, you know, making an unnecessary pinch in the offensive zone. It's Mitch Marner. Who's the first player back. And then he gaps up in the neutral zone, intercepts the pass and then gets the play going the other way. Scott Wheeler had a really good article on this, just kind of breaking down some of the video behind what makes Mitch Marner a great defensive player. He doesn't do it the same way Ryan O'Reilly does. He doesn't do it the same way Sean Couturier does. He's not as big. He's not as strong. But he's position, he positions himself really well, often as the second player in on the forecheck or the second player back on the back check. And he intercepts pucks. He's among the leaders and takeaways every season. But this year, he's taken it to another level. And I think especially when you consider how often he's prevented odd man rushes by just burning himself back as fast as he can. It shows up in the numbers, too. Dom Lustration put out his... Uh, awards ballots the other day and he had Marner second in Selkie consideration based on his elite defensive numbers this is an aspect of his game that I don't think we're talking enough about he has become an elite 200 foot player and I wasn't sure if I'd ever say that I thought he would just be one of those elite passers who puts up the assist numbers doesn't quite have the play driving numbers doesn't quite have the 200 foot expected goals numbers that guys like Mark Stone do but he has it this year and that's pretty awesome to see it's one of the best signs in the league with Hyman there not Joe Thornton, Zach Hyman. And I think Matthews, they, Marner, anyone is a good line. And that, yeah, and they should ride it. I just wish, like right now, did you know that Mitch Marner leads all forwards in the league in average time on ice per game? That, he, he's one. He's one of one. That doesn't shock me considering how often I, I pull up my little game score chart and I see a 26 next to the time on ice next to yeah. Marner. It's not shocking. I just wish it wasn't true. Like, I wish that they preserved him a little bit more. I wish that there were times where we had a little bit more juice in his legs. I wish that he had a little bit more pep, um, you know, and a little bit of extra hop to his stride. But he's honestly, he's conserving himself when when you watch him play sometimes, which he kind of has to if they're going to play him that much. Well, I mean, I w- he's their best penalty killer. He's their power play quarterback. At even strength, he plays the toughest minutes. He's become a yeah. full in all situations player. He's a stud. There's no question about it. I just wish they did a little bit more to limit his minutes so that, you know, I think, I think Marner cruising along at 70, 75% and kicking it up, you know, situationally is fine, but I wish Marner was playing a little bit more consistently at, you know, 85, 90% with a little bit lower ice time and a little bit more oomph to his game. But, you know, that's not his decision. He's being put in that situation in part because he's so good, but I wish the coaching staff just did a little bit more to, you know, try to maximize his impact. I think we'll see here. I mean, I don't know for sure, but I'm thinking after the trade deadline, when it's more or less set that the four teams in the Canadian division, we already know that, but I think as the playoff seating starts to be a little bit more set, we'll see the minutes from Toronto's top guys go down a bit. Hopefully Joe Thornton gets a night off after the trade deadline, because my God, that guy needs it. I feel bad for that poor 41 year old man. Give that man a night off. I know they're accruing cap space right now, but geez, I feel bad for Thornton, but I also hope that Matthews and Marner aren't getting 24 minutes a night. I hope that we see that go down a little bit. Let's get out of here with the stat of the week. Expected goals. It's one of my favorite stats. It's one of Kyle Dubas favorite stats. Good stat. Colorado is first in the league right now, north of 60%. They're playing absurdly well right now. Which teams do you think are ranked number two and number three? I think it's Montreal and then the Leafs, right? You are correct, good friend. So Toronto, I'm I'm glad. I'm glad. So yeah, Montreal's at 57%. Toronto's at 55%. The top three teams in the league and expected goals. Colorado. Then there's a big drop down and it's Montreal, Toronto, but Toronto's controlling play at five on five. This is the best they've ever controlled play at five on five in years past. 
They've been all right in that regard. They've been above average, but they've relied on hot goaltending and a hot shooting percentage. Their this possession year, numbers are average, though, the Leafs. That's so, yeah. So I guess this is more of a shot quality thing. I guess they're doing yep. a really good job at generating quality shots from the good areas on the ice. And defensively, for one of the first times, they're limiting quality chances against. I think some of that's TJ Brody. I think some of that is more buy-in to the system overall. I think having a full offseason with Sheldon Keefe and getting everyone on the same page, I think that does help you structurally in your own end. But I think more than anything, offensively, their shot quality is through the roof, and that's a repeatable thing. And it's it's to the point where they are now a top three team in the league at expected goal differential, which they've never done before. So that's pretty impressive at 5-on-5, five five, especially considering how predictive of a stat it is for future performance. It's very good. I think if the playoffs don't go the way that they want them to, the thing that they're probably going to look back on and say, why was there such a discrepancy between the shot quality and the shot quantity, which was, which is it's average. Yeah. I mean, the shot quantity, if I ranked them right now, they're ninth in the league, whereas shot quality, they are third. So I think in terms of team Corsi, they're only like what's 14th or 15th like they're right in that like 13 I've got a score adjusted range. here it says it says ninth as of right now that might have been oh, after score adjusted it's a little bit up eh i guess that yeah. makes sense in terms of raw overall which is good but no it, it's a really good point in terms of if you look at the the overall numbers the leafs right now are a good team at controlling the overall run of play but they are a great team at controlling the quality of scoring chances so that's something to keep an eye on moving forward because usually teams aren't able to sustain a drastic gap between their shot quantity and their shot quality. So it's definitely something to keep an eye on. But just the fact that this team is top three in scoring chances at five on five differential, top three in expected goal differential. These are very positive signs that we haven't seen in years past. So it's something to keep in mind that this isn't just a team that, that's riding hot forwards to high shooting percentages and hot goaltending to a high save percentage. They're actually doing some repeatable things at five and five that are going to lead to positive results in the future. Any closing thoughts before we get out of here? Uh, Taylor Hall. That's my closing thought right there. That I don't understand <laughs> why teams are not willing to give up a first round pick for this guy. And if I find out that he gets traded to an American team for a second round pick and the Leafs are giving up a, a decent prospect and a decent pick for Nick Felino. I'm going to be very disappointed. It's going to feel like a massive opportunity cost there. That's fair. That's completely fair. I'm very, very curious how that's going to shake out. We'll see how things go. Hopefully next week, we actually have some trades to talk about because I think when we actually record next week, the trade deadline will have passed. Correct. Emergency pod, man. Get ready. Emergency Get pod. Ready. Please let it be a Taylor hall emergency pod and not a, who's a really bottom of the line <laughs> Pro uh, probably the second that we've stopped recording there's going to be a trade like midnight and i'm going to lose it it's going to be a bottom pairing defenseman and i'm just going to be so upset i'm going to say do we have to record do we really have to <laughs> anyways we went long this week but hey thanks for sticking around appreciate it everyone we will be back next week to break down the massive trade that the leaks that the leafs make for scott lot take care everybody You've been listening to the Maple Leafs Hot Stove Podcast. For news, opinion, and analysis, make sure to go to MapleLeafsHotStove.com and join the conversation.